loss helps us define our lives. By allowing our grief to matter, we discover our own strengths and embrace our authentic selves. Welcome to Good Grief with your host, Cheryl Jones. Get ready to be inspired to create a deeper life to make your time on Earth much more meaningful. Now, here is Cheryl Jones. Hello, I'm your host, Cheryl Jones, and I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. Today, I welcome Jay Perry. As a full-time photographer from Canada, Jay's traveled the country and beyond to capture the moments and memories that matter. Following a photo trip to Haiti in 2010, mere months after the devastation of the earthquake that shook its capital city, Jay discovered his passion for helping others and has since dedicated his time and talent to numerous charitable efforts while founding his own establishment, aptly named Friends with Hearts, which acts and operates as a global community of friends working together to restore the magic of Christmas for families in need. Today we'll feature Jay's book, My Dad Got Sick, Love and Insights from a Caregiver's Unexpected Journey Through Cancer. You can find Jay at jperry.ca or his personal Instagram, which is at jperry. Welcome, Jay. Hey, Cheryl. Thanks for having me. Uh, Nice to have you. And I want to just start with you kind of uh, captured... Right at the beginning, everything you wanted to do with this book, so I thought that would be a great place to start. You say, this book is an outline of my experiences while taking care of my dad, both physically and mentally, during his battle with cancer. It's a tool designed to help those in similar positions navigate coping, self-awareness, empathy, compassion, self-care, support, education, commitment, grief, love, and embracing the day-to-day reality of caregiving. That is a tall order. Yes, yes. It was it was quite the book to write. It took quite the, you know, three years to get out. But I'm so happy that you know we're here today. And that is, I think, uh, a relatively short time, grief wise. Although I know some people are just compelled to to write uh, and find that what they write accidentally turns into a book, you know? Yeah. But, um, I notice also there are a lot of people who, who can't quite operate in that way right away. Which was it for you? Did you feel really compelled to write or was it kind of an idea you knew you wanted to do, but you weren't quite ready to do it right away? I I think there was a lot of different things that went into it. One being during the journey that I was on, while my dad was alive, I was sharing a lot of these stories on social media. And people seemed to engage with them and um, connect with them way, way more than any other thing that I was sharing, any other posts. So right then and there, I kind of you know, had some idea. And, and someone even said on one of the posts, I hope you're saving these and putting them in a book one day. Mm-hmm. And, and that, that was really interesting to me that people were connecting to them so, so well. And I think it's because I was being so vulnerable and being so open. Maybe other people were going through that as well. So yeah. that was kind of like the first idea of, okay, maybe maybe my story needs to be told more than just these Facebook posts. And then I started writing a little bit after my dad passed away. And then I had to stop for a bit. Just, you know, wasn't in the right frame of mind. And it took a little over two years of writing to actually finish it. 
And there would be periods where I stopped for three months, stopped for a month, stopped for a while and think I just have nothing and finally, you know, get back to it. Sometimes even friends inspired me to, you know, go back and, and keep writing. So it's been quite the process to get this out for sure. For sure. And, um, you know, I know you're a photographer in general. Had you written before? Was writing something you were drawn to? Also, uh, you know what? Never. And it's funny <laughs> because uh, to think that I have a book out, my high school English teachers would probably laugh at you. <laughs> I, was, I was probably the last person that they would ever believe would ever uh, release a book, which is interesting because I tried to get my way through English class as easy as I could, you know, sometimes just borrowing my brother's essays, having him write them. You just them. admitted that on the radio, Jay. 100%. <laughs> and, and you know what? what? do you now, I guess. <laughs> yeah. And he, he, he's well aware, and he was well aware of it during high school, too. How the t- teachers never caught on, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I remember he, he, he had this one disc, and that was filled just with his old essays that I was fortunate enough to have. Um, yeah, I was never a, a writer, ever. And more so that, I was never a reader. And I didn't enjoy reading, which is interesting. So for me to release a book is is pretty crazy. But I look at it as not necessarily a book that I wrote, but a way to deliver content. And I found that writing in the book was the best way to get it to the people that needed it. And I was going to do my best. Now, I really have to give a lot of credit to my editor. Um, she made me sound incredible. Um, I owe her a lot to, to helping me with this book, that's for sure. Yay for the editors. Yeah. Um, but I also think you're saying something that's really relevant to this, to this show I have, which is that sometimes the things that come out of, of loss experiences are so surprising. You know, you suddenly had this this need to express something, and you decided the best way was words, and you did it, even though um, you'd avoided it before. Yeah, uh, I, I I find that's pretty crazy as well. Some of the things, and some of the things that are happening currently with the book are pretty interesting. I mean, being on this podcast for one is, you know, I never thought this would happen, and you know. When it com- really comes down to it, I wish I wish we weren't talking right now. I wish mm-hmm. this book I wish this book didn't exist um, because that would mean my dad was still alive. Yes, and also it only exists because of his fight. Um, he was given nine months to live, and if he would have taken that that diagnosis prognosis, there would be no book because. It's about his fight. If he didn't show me how hard it was, or if he didn't show me love, if he didn't show me how much he cared about his family, there would be no content for this as well. Mm-hmm. So, you're, But you're right in saying that these situations can bring out something you never expected and something you never realized you were even capable of doing. Now, saying that, I thought this book was going to take me a month to write because the stories had already happened. Now it was just me putting pen to paper, which I thought, no problem. I'll just bang this out in a month and, and call it a day. 
done with it. Yeah. And, <laughs> and then you don't realize, you know, while you're grieving, the different emotions you're going through, the different stages that, you know, some days you just don't have the motivation to do anything, to write one word. And it, that's why it took so long. And it and and grief kind of uh, asks you for what it wants, right? It's hard not to bow to it on a certain level. It's it's hard to power through. It it is, uh, and I think you know there's some mistakes I made while grieving, and part of part of them are in the book. It talks. No, I don't want anyone to do it alone. Um, but but you're right. It's. It hits you in different hits everyone in different ways, and sometimes you're not expecting for it. And there's, you know, they say there's good days and there's bad days, and there definitely is 100%. You did something that uh, is certainly not. Um, uh, it's certainly something that people do sometimes, but still a relatively unusual choice for a young person, which was to pretty much suspend your life to be with yeah. your dad. Yeah. Oh. Could you talk about that some? Because I think um, that has some particular, you know, there's the going back and forth to another location and keep everything going. There's the suspend everything. There's everything in between. But for you, could you talk about that decision, how you came to it and and what that meant for your life? For sure. I think when my dad was diagnosed and I knew this was going to be um, a journey the decision came pretty easy to me because of who my parents are and, and raised me to be. Um, my dad was an amazing father and, you know, he didn't have to do the things he did for me. He didn't have to take me to all those hockey games. He didn't have to take me to wherever I wanted. He didn't have to give up his hobbies so I could have my hobbies, uh, feed me, change my diaper, you name it, the list goes on. My parents were and are amazing. So now it was my time to say, okay, thank you, but now is now I want to take care of you when that time comes. And, you know, unfortunately it came. And so for me the decision was easy because now, now knowing what I went through, I don't want to know a life where I didn't make that decision to take care of him. Mm. Uh, I can't imagine what that would be like, uh, the amount of regret that I would currently be living in. Um, so that's, that's kind of, you know, all those come together and it was a pretty easy decision for me to make. Well, so it was, okay, let me tell you, the journey was hard, you know, the easy, sure. the, it was an easy decision that led to a hard and frustrating journey. But, and I knew that was going to come, but I, I wanted to be the one to do it. And, you know, it was interesting because I took on this role of caregiver, but I also tried to take on too many roles at the same time. And what I mean by that is my goal with this was to cure my dad. I didn't know how I was going to do it, but I had this belief that if I worked hard enough, researched hard enough, that we were going to beat this cancer. And soon into the journey, I realized that, you know, I'm not a doctor and there's very intelligent people trying to take care of him. What he needs now is my time. And I, I realized that a little bit ways into the journey and, and tried to give him as much as my time as I could. 
So that sounds, you know, uh, the word that comes to my mind is humbling, that we kind of, and I've noticed this so much, I work with cancer a lot, that people start out thinking if, if we just do the right things, you know, yeah, but eventually yeah. you have to realize it's so much more complex than that. And we're not entirely in charge of everything. Right. And, and I think that what we tried to do is control the things that were controllable. Um, you know, like he had his chemothe- chemotherapy treatments. None of us know the first thing about any of that stuff. So, you know, why try and control that? Right. What, we could do, what we could do is, you know, keep, keep the love in the family, not ask him every single day how he's doing. Because I started to do that at the beginning. Then I realized this guy doesn't want to hear that every day. Let's just treat him like a human being. So let, those are one of the things we can do. Um, you know, help him with his, his diet, take him to appointments. Uh, and again, I think it all goes back to love and time being a caregiver. Because right. those are the two, two things that we're able to give. And we, we should. We should. Well, the other thing I noticed was that it appeared to me like uh, your dad was a pretty practical person and uh, showed his caring in the things that he did, not necessarily, you know, saying he loved you every two seconds or any of that. And that in some way, your strategy around his illness matched him. Yeah, my, my dad was a very quiet guy, um, but very loving, right? He, yeah, you know, it would be weird if I heard it every night. I love you, Jay. I love you. And he didn't have to tell me that for me to know it. He, he showed it in so many other ways, so many. Um, even till the day he died, it was amazing because... He, he was a caregiver for me growing up in terms of taking care of me, my needs, um, making sure I was, I was always fed. And that was interesting. You know, he had this routine of every Sunday growing up, he would make me French toast. Um, and he, he, you know, know that I want it. And it became a thing. Now till one of the last days on his deathbed and I brought him a donut, he was trying to make sure I was full and offered me his donut. And that's the exact person who he was. He, you know, he gave his life as much as he could for others and never asked anything in return. Never. Um, so, so you're right. This is, you know, we have, we're a similar person in, in that aspect. And, um, you know, I couldn't have, couldn't have asked for a better father. Did you move in with them or did, how did the logistics of caring for him work? Yeah, I was, I was living with uh, my dad and my mom at the time. Uh Um, I think I was 31 when he got sick. Um, And, you know, logistically, the biggest thing I had to do was to, you know, cut back on my work, um, cut back on how much I was working and, that was fine. Now, I would say, you know, I was probably the primary caregiver. Um, but there were also people in the family that helped out. You know, let's say my mom, was her role to take care of to every single appointment, to take care of the medicine? No, I think her role was to just keep loving. And, you know, she was working. She was uh, 
take care of the finances in the family, let's say, because, you know, my dad and myself stopped bringing in money. Uh, so it definitely was a team effort that way. And being home and living with him um, made, sure, made sure I was close to him in case anything happened. You, who knows? And you always fear for that. You always fear for, you know, in the middle of the night is, you know, he's going to stop breathing. He's going to need help. So I wanted to be there no matter what. For sure. And then I'm also aware that uh, if I would have thought before I took care of my wife for all of the years that she was ill, uh, eight and a half after diagnosis, 10 altogether, uh, I would have thought, um, you know, it would be kind of an emergency every minute. But the times that I re- that really sit with me now are the times that were very quiet. And when we were just hanging out and nothing much was going on, but there was this sense of togetherness that is still very profound if I think about it. Right. I I think that, you know, the media and and whatnot say that, you know, there's something going wrong every single second during an illness. But sometimes it's complete opposite where there's some amazing moments. And I grew a lot closer to my dad during his illness. I mean, we were always close, but we, you know, we became best friends after that. And it wasn't always, you know, stress and worry. There was actually some awesome times. Maybe even funny sometimes. There were a lot of funny <laughs> I'm times. I'm projecting. <laughs> and he was, he was, I a found very, my sense of humor during that period. Yeah. So. <laughs> my dad had a very sarcastic sense of humor uh-huh. and it, it came out a lot during his illness, which, which was nice to see. You know, he wasn't always sad or depressed, which I think really helped him, you know, triple his diagnosis. And I think that the family also helped that, too. If the family was always negative and down, that would have definitely been contagious and and went on to him. So there's a lot of people to thank for for that. You know, we're about ready for a break. And when we get back, um, there was something, uh, an interesting small aspect it relates to what you were saying about not uh not asking him how he was all the time yeah it was something about not really talking about the illness specifics and that was interesting to me because it was kind of the opposite with my wife but i i'm guessing it has something to do with this um not negative being not negative Right. I, I'd just like to pull that out a little bit because uh, the being not negative part, I very much relate to. So let's let's go go to that when we get back. Sounds good. And listeners, you can find my website and social media at the Good Grief page at Voice America. And you can find Jay Perry at www.jperry. It's J-A-Y-P-E-R-R-Y dot C-A. Be back soon. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Today's woman faces a stressful world when it comes to staying healthy. We are bombarded by media messages with contradicting ideas about fitness and nutrition. We need to keep our diet, relationships, and stress in check. It's time to get the right message and have the most fun. Join hosts Andrea Beeman, Lisa Lutan, and Michelle Fenighaus for Healthy View Radio. It's health and happiness in one show. 
every Thursday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Health & Wellness. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. There is a difference in health and wellness programs. There can be mainstream programs, and then there is something extra. That something extra is called tips to keep you healthy, happy, and motivated with your host, Kristen Harper. If you want to hear some behind-the-scenes talk radio when it comes to health and wellness, the why as well as the how, be sure to tune in each week. This show will inspire you to be healthy and happy for life, as well as become the best version of yourself. Listen Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Health & Wellness. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN. The Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. This is your host, Cheryl Jones, and I've been talking with Jay Perry, the author of My Dad Got Sick. And Jay, before the break... Uh, I mentioned I wanted to talk a little bit about this idea of what you do or don't say to the person who's ill. (laughs) And um, it was interesting because maybe I got it a little bit wrong. It sort of sounded as if you were saying don't talk about the illness, um, which I think might be true for some people. Just better not to talk about it, just do the stuff and go on with living. Um, for me and my wife, it was important to talk about it. It didn't dominate our life, but we talked about it quite frequently. So it was a really different experience. And I wondered if you could just speak to that a little bit, uh, you know, maybe illuminate what you were talking about and how that worked with you and your dad. For sure. I think you can't avoid not talking about it or talking. And um, I mean, there's, you know, you have meetings and appointments, so definitely you have to talk about it. I have a chapter in the book talking, saying, I think the title is, uh, don't remind your loved one that they're sick. So what I mean is don't always bring it up. 
I find that when someone has a terminal illness, that it seems to be always the topic of conversation. Ah, uh, I see. Right? Which is which is terrible because I really believe that the mind has incredible healing powers, and you've got to be in the best mindset you can to make those you know healing powers work and, and have a greater effect on your body and your disease. So if somebody is continually thinking that they're ill, I think it's going to put them in a terrible state versus, you know, if they're only thinking about it when, let's say they have to appointments or whatnot. Um, yeah, don't, don't, don't remind them. Do your best not to remind them. I talk about in the book that I would have loved to have taken a photo of every day of my dad um, just to document what was happening with him. But that would tell him, you know, he's doing this because I'm going to die and he wants to remember me. And I think that that would be terrible for his mindset. So I, I never did it. Ne never once. There's, there's the photos I do have on his journey are kind of, you know, stuff that I did in secret or times where photos were supposed to be taken. So it's not to avoid talking about it because I think you have to, and I think it's important, but don't continually remind somebody that. Right. Well, I think about things, of course, being a counselor and all that, from a pretty psychological viewpoint. And one thing that I'm aware of is just that uh, people who are ill uh, sometimes get reduced. Uh, as if, for instance, nobody tells them their problems anymore. Right. Um, the only topic of conversation is, are you okay? You know, in a kind of fatalistic voice, you know, that that's how I related to that, that that's just unpleasant because that person is still up until the, usually the very, 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 very end, fully themselves, especially you know, with cancer. Yeah. And, and I saw that with my dad too especially at the start for myself and, and learning how to be a caregiver, I was trying too hard to do everything I could for him. And for, for example, you know, if he was sitting on the couch, Hey dad, do you want me to go get you a drink? And he can say to me, you know, he says to me, I can stand up and walk over there and get my own drink. And I was only trying to be helpful and he was being sarcastic. And I found myself trying to help too much, which made my dad sometimes, I believe, feel like uh, he was being a burden in in my life, which it never was. So I had to kind of step back and let him live, let him live as if he wasn't sick because he could still perform and, and be a human being. And other than his diagnosis on paper, sometimes you had no idea he was even sick ever. And we wanted to kind of keep it that way in his in his head. Well, it's also maybe a matter of keeping as much sense of autonomy and wholeness as is possible in any given moment. Right. Uh, I, the way I the way I used to think about that is staying a quarter step behind, not a quarter step ahead. Yeah, one one hundred percent. I think giving you know him his he knows you know he knows he's sick. My dad knew he was sick. No one had to right. tell him that or, or remind him. Um, so, but letting him being, being himself, I mean, he had his license taken away from the very beginning and he, you know, a shot to his independence right there. 
And I drove him around everywhere, no problems, but I'm sure there would be times where he would just want to get in his car and go to the store. But he had to ask me for a ride all the time, which I was never opposed to doing. But it's just that one extra step, right, that he probably never wanted to do. Not having to ask anybody for anything, <laughs> you know, yeah. for instance. Um, exactly. That's what we're kind of used to until something like that interferes. Right, right. Yeah. So, obviously, he outlived uh, prognostications by quite a bit. You said he was told nine months and he nine lived months. two and a two half months. years. Yeah, yeah. And so that gives you a lot of time sort of to adapt i suppose i mean human beings are quite quite adaptable but also it maybe makes the possibility of where things are going a little less believable and again that may be just my experience by the time my wife actually went into the final stages of her illness we were kind of saying well she's been here a lot of times before maybe she'll just snap out of it right <laughs> it took a while to get that it really was happening i wonder exactly. how that was for you and and we experienced that over and over you know i recently said my dad got his license taken away but a quick story he got it back he got his license back a year and a half later mm -hmm. and after a year we, we said to the doctor you know can he get his license back he has he took it away because he was now prone to having seizures. And we said, he's had no seizures. He doesn't have any really si crazy symptoms. Can you get it back? And the oncologist said, I don't know. I don't know the answer for you because everybody in his situation has passed on by now. I agree that he should be driving. I just don't know how to do it. So we then looked into how to get that back. I made so many calls to our ministry in Canada. And finally, after he had to go through so many different neurology tests and, and balance tests and this and that, and he finally got his license back, which was crazy. So along the way of his journey, he was baffling doctors all the time. And after it was appointment after appointment and test results where the doctor said, no, oh, things, things look great. Your tumor actually shrunk a little bit. And I, I don't get it, but it shrunk. But And we continually heard, continue whatever you, you're doing. Can just continue it. So you're right in that we, we just believed that it would continue like this for, for the longest time. Mm -hmm. and, and until, you know, just over two years after his diagnosis, then things started to get really bad. But up until then, it was... You know, is tomorrow? Is it going to be tomorrow? Is it going to be a month later? We we had no idea. We and we were always told, you know, it could be, but we were told that after a year. So you're right. You never know what to believe, and it was hard to believe that he was even going to pass away. Right. Seeing this, seeing this guy who was in a, such a positive attitude. Quick story. Um, year and a half into it, my family doctor, who's also my dad's family doctor, called me privately and said do you realize how sick your father is? I said, of, of course, why? And because he said that, because your dad doesn't. He is so positive about his, about he's going to outlive everything and he really has no idea. And I think that's what helped keep him alive so long, that belief that 
he was going to beat this and he was going to outlive it. And you know what? I think depending on what your definition of beating it is can change for everyone. But I really believe he did my, you know, he beat the odds over and over and over. And that showed me just how amazing of a fighter he was. Well, we could also say nobody wins that fight ultimately. Yeah. But what, what came through so much in reading about your dad is how much life he had in that time. He, he did. He, you know, he still traveled. Um, he spent as much time with his, with his grandkids as he could. And he, you know, he tried his best not to be sick. And sure, there were times his biggest symptom, let's say, was fatigue. And he was tired a lot. And other than that, you know, we lived a pretty, pretty normal life up until so, two years. So that has implications for you because it just occurred to me, the original decision you made to kind of drop work and, you know, devote yourself, let's yep. say, was under the conditions you were hoping were not true, but what you were being told was pretty short time frame what 100 percent and and so then it's not a short time frame was let's talk about you in this a little bit because you also were having a huge experience you weren't just supporting his experience um how did you take care of yourself in in all of that uh well you know and that's interesting going back when the doctor said you've got nine months left with your dad that's why, you know, give up everything, stop whatever I'm doing, because I want to take as much time. I want to spend as much time in those nine months as I can with my dad. And I could have, let's say, not given up so much so easy. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, my job is the one where I could get a call tomorrow and say, you know, we need you for a few weeks out of country. You know, are you down for the job? Which I wouldn't have taken. You know, looking back, I could have, but I didn't know what was going to happen. You never would know. Exactly. It could have been three months, right? Right. Um, so so I, I did go through quite the journey. And near the end, I, I wasn't taking care of myself whatsoever. And it was taking a toll on my body, um, taking a toll on, on my social life, and just non-existent, my health. And I had to kind of fight that battle as well. And I think when somebody, when a family member gets diagnosed with a disease such um, as, as cancer, that the whole family gets diagnosed with it for sure. Absolutely. And you take it in different ways. I call it, you know, the caregiver's disease that I'm probably still, still battling. And in the book, I open up and I'm very, very vulnerable, which I'm not super comfortable with about different stages that I went through, depression, anxiety, and a family member had read that book, read the book and called me soon after and said, are you okay? How are you doing? Because it, you know, in the book, sometimes it sounds like you're still battling. And I said, you know what, I, I appreciate the call, but you know, a lot of that was written or a lot of the book was written a year and a half, two years ago, and I'm doing much better now. Um, but it's, but I, I think that is so important though, Jay, and maybe particularly, you know, there's sort of a, well, maybe it's different in Canada, but I don't think so entirely. 
you know, men men are tough, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, kind of um, stiff upper lip kind of thing. And um, that doesn't help as a message to other people that are grieving, right? Right. Right. So I appreciated that, that you you talked about how tough it was while saying and and said, you know, take care of yourself because otherwise you can't take care of the person you love. Exactly. I, I certainly learned how to care for myself, caring for someone else at that level, because if I didn't, I can tell you a few stories of what happened that were not pretty. You know, yeah, hurt my yeah. back, got sick, whatever it was. Yeah, uh, it just didn't work, and then everything fell apart. Right. You know, as um, an adult and his or man in his thirties during this uh, young thirties, you know, there there were times where I cried, one hundred percent alone, by myself. But I never let my dad see me cry because I never wanted him to know how sad I was in front of him because I think that would hurt him and you know I'm open about that I'm open about everything because I know people go through it and I think that there's no shame in admitting that I think it's only going to be a burden on you if you don't talk about it because shame can only hide in secrecy and I 100% was sick made myself sick from not eating well um, and I actually made a post about that on Facebook talking at the time I was also caregiving for my grandfather. So mornings were spent in the hospice and afternoons were spent in the hospital. And my family owes so much gratitude to a cousin who started making us home cooked meals. So we would come home and we'd eat healthy, which is amazing. We love her for that. It's time for our second break. And when we get back, let's, let's talk about grief a little bit more um, because the focus of your book, of course, is that period of caring for your dad. I also think it's just um, meaningful what you talk about in terms of actually grieving your dad and what it was like to confront death. So let's come back to that after the break. Okay. Listeners out there, you can go to weatheringgrief.com, which is my website, or the Good Grief Host page at Voice America. And to find Jay Perry, go to jperry.ca. Back after the break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. Ready to transform your health and your world? Join host Melissa Alexander for Insight Living with Vitality. Melissa and her guests go behind the scenes on what it takes for practitioners and clients to transform themselves and others. She provides insight to medical procedural breakthroughs, available product resources, and explains lifestyle choices designed to improve and expand your vitality. It's time to get rid of that baggage, remove those blockages, and prevent buildup from hindering your progress in life. Tune in every Monday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Healthcare has been a major part of news stories today with one thing that has been consistent 
inconsistency. Both healthcare providers and patients have to work around and get used to a constantly changing set of rules and issues. Nurses have historically been left out of this decision-making. Listen to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. Health professionals, we invite you to share your ideas and experiences while listening to experts in various areas of nursing. Listen Mondays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health & Wellness. Explore the power of natural healing with Howard Strauss. Join us each week for an informative program that will help you learn effective healing methods using natural remedies. Howard's guests include top researchers, authors, and experts who will share their views on a variety of natural products and healing methods that really work. Tune in to The Power of Natural Healing with Howard Strauss, Mondays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health & Wellness Channel. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all of our show archives on demand. All from your iOS, Amazon Kindle, or Android device. Download it from the Apple App Store, Amazon, or Google Play, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back to Good Grief. I'm here with Jay Perry, the author of My Dad Got Sick. And uh, Jay, I was saying before the break that I really wanted to talk about, um, you know, although the book is largely, I would, I would say, geared towards people who are caregiving, Yep. yep. Would that be correct? Uh, um, yeah. Yeah. But also I felt there was an aspect of it that was directed towards grievers. For sure. Uh, and uh, I hope we can talk a bit about, about that. Uh, there was an interesting statement you, you made in the book. This was my first time dealing with the death of a loved one right in front of me. My prior experiences with death came from what movies told me it would be like. And I'm sure you're not atypical, especially in that age range, for having this sort of movie version of death be the only the only idea you have. Um, how was it different for you to actually confront death, and how well, did that impact you? Talking about like the movie version, um, you know, my dad was passed away in a hospice. Um, we 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 were there around his bedside, but the movies told Hollywood told me that you know he'd he'd regain consciousness. He'd come. He'd told me to come over, and he'd know he'd be dying, and he'd be saying something in my ear that was life changing. He'd give me some piece of advice, and we'd both cry, and he'd slowly <laughs> fade slowly fade away. And that's okay. kind of like what I was expecting something like happened, but complete opposite. Nothing like that happened. You know, he, he, 
on his deathbed, he did, he, he, he did open his eyes and he looked me in the eyes and, and that said a lot. Um, but you're right. You, you, you have these expectations from, from media and film and whatnot, but until you actually experience it, you know, you, you never know what's going to happen. And looking back, um, I was a bit disappointed that, you know, it, nothing happened like that, but now I'm okay with it. And going forward, I just want to let people know that if your loved one passes, you know, it's going to be in a special way and everyone's going to have their own way of seeing it. Maybe you can't deal with it. Maybe you can't be there. I, I don't know. That's all up to you. Um, but yeah, it's, it's interesting on how Hollywood portrays the death of a loved one and how it actually happens in real life. And once they die, then you, you know, you go on to the grieving period. Whether it was easier for me to accept because it took two and a half years, I don't know, versus if, let's say, he had a heart attack um, and he passed away on the spot. Mm. Is the shock harder versus the, the drawn out? I, I don't know. Um, someone would be better answering that for me. But, yeah, it's almost like you, you're – we grieved for the the month he was in the hospice knowing it was almost any day that, you know, he was not going to wake up and side note, the fighter that he is, he outlived everyone in the hospice. You know, we've seen people come through all the rooms and go, and my dad was still there. And he was just, just held on, held on for the family, held on for all of us. And, you know, we love him for that. You know, I I noticed with my wife, because she had lived eight and a half years, she was sick for 10 years, she was not diagnosed for a year and a half, so eight and a half years beyond a six-month uh, prognosis. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah, it was pretty incredible, no yeah. one could believe it, for yeah. sure, and um she was so geared in that direction that when her body was failing... It was hard for her to make that turn in her in her mind. Right. right. Uh, and I think there was some. Uh, I almost want to say uh, angst or you know real problem inside of her because she didn't know how to now direct her energy towards death. Right. She was in the habit of something quite different, and. Um, it wasn't as long, but I feel that about your father, too, that he was very geared towards a certain goal. Right. And it's funny because when he went into the hospital for the last time, we we had no idea if he knew why he was there or he thought he was there. It was a rehab center. His legs were getting very, very weak. Um, he needed help walking. And so they're working on his on his muscles at his at the hospital, and he really believed he was at the rehab center, and that he was going to be going home soon once he could start walking. And then from there, he moved to the hospice, and he always made a comment about it being an apartment, and again, I think another rehab center. We never truly knew if he understood what was happening, um, as the, the cancer had spread from his lungs to his brain, and. That's what eventually took his life is the part in the brain. The lung was great. It was doing fine. Mm. And we don't know what kind of effect that was having on his 
on his thinking. And, you know, maybe he did know and he never, he never said it. We, you know, we don't know, but it's interesting that way. So I guess our bottom line to say to people is you, you really don't know how it's going to be. Every death is different and every person is different. And, um, you know, my mother talked until the moment before she died. <laughs> I mean, yeah. It's quite different. And my dad died suddenly. You know, there's there's just so many different ways that that all comes about. But um, maybe the bottom line is to trust that you can handle it. Right. And I think everyone passing away differently is, is unique and special to that situation. And then you're right. It goes into what next? And I talk a bit about that in the book and what to do next after your loved one passes. And, you know, I was guilty of having some relief for sure. And I still kind of deal with that guilt. And I don't know if that's right or wrong that it was over. Um, you talk about my dad not suffering anymore. And I don't love hearing that. If I, and people say that to me, he's not suffering anymore, but he's not here anymore. Right. Yeah. And that's, yeah. that's the biggest thing for me is that he's not here anymore. And maybe that's still part of my grieving as well, is that I have to get to a point to say, well, yes, that is true. He's not suffering anymore. And, and or maybe so- or maybe it's the guilt that has to be you know i I was certainly uh, allowed for my relief. I had kids mm-hmm. it had gotten to be so difficult she the my wife had outlived her body, yeah, yeah, and I wasn't relieved to be without her. But I was relieved of the pressure of trying to take care of someone whose body was really done for. Right, right. And to me, those are two really different things. I don't, I don't know how you look at it, but um, yeah, no, I, I hear you. To me, there was a bunch of relief for sure. I could get back to working and doing this. Um, my mindset was always that pressure was better to have because my dad was here. Of versus, course. Versus not. Of course. And, um, but, you know, I, I went to this big financial debt after that I'm still trying to get out of because of that situation. I know that if my dad never got sick, I would, my photography career would be even farther than it is. I'd be doing so well. Um, I know just from my work ethic, but it's not. And another chapter in the book I talk about is making money versus making memories. And there's always a time to make money. The time to make those memories, you know, comes to an end. Well, and- also, I, I, I feel certain that you're, and, and I did want to mention the things you do now before we get off of here in a few minutes. I feel certain that the way that you're doing your work must be impacted by that experience in some way or another. Oh, 100% for sure. I mean, you know, my work over the past month has been this book, trying to get it out and get it in front of people who might need it. And it's taken a huge toll or or a lot of time in my life, but well worth it because I know it can have an impact. I mean, some of the feedback I've been getting from people who are reading it, you know, have made my day and also 
made everything worth it. Made my dad, you know, turning my dad from a cancer statistic to hopeful healer has been pretty, it's, it's, you know, I look at my dad now as a hero. He's always my hero, but now he's out there helping people because of his life or his fight. And he's, and and you too, Jay, right? If, I mean, I I have a friend, she's writing a book on, um, what does she call it? Grief, love, and gratitude. Um, and her idea is that at a certain point, our grief turns into our desire to serve. Right. You're a very, very good example of that, aren't you? Yeah, I, I totally believe that. I think, um, just being grateful in general, I, I mean, I don't, I would never wish, you know, being a caregiver on anyone because that means a decision has to be made about a loved one who's might die or might be in a position of that, which is terrible. But I look back and I'm grateful for a lot of the things that happened. Mm-hmm. And also my dad, you know, fighting, I just want to be his voice now in his life meaning to get this out there. And another reason why I wrote the book was to, you know, I don't want any caregivers to go through this alone. Also, I feel like I share a lot of valuable information in the book that could help somebody, not only the caregiver, but their loved one as well. And that, that means the world to me. The feedback I get is, is amazing. You know, I, I think for me, I'm 22 years or so beyond my big, biggest loss. And it keeps weaving its way into my life mm-hmm. in ways that are, including this show, yeah. uh, that are very um, magical to me. Well, I think it's, uh, it's incredible. I know I've told you this before, but, you know, thank you for what you are doing because it's, it's a voice for people out there who are grieving and sometimes just listening to somebody else who's going through it makes you feel better that you're not the only one and, you know, you're making that possible for people. So thank you. Oh, you're very welcome. I also just want to say thank you for your book. And, you know, you said something that a lot of people say, which is it's the book I wanted to, I wanted, it's the book I needed. And uh, what's interesting to me about that is we kind of all have our own book, don't we? Yeah, for sure. (laughs) And, And we do, I think it is so important that we tell our stories I agree. I agree. Uh, so I, I really appreciate that you told yours. I hope people will go get to know you through your work. And um, we'll keep in touch. Thanks Carol, for being with me today. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. You can find Jay Perry at jperry.ca. This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation. Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief. Please come back next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Cheryl Jones, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a meaningful week. Abre mi corazón.